Praise God. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, team. You know, I just got off the phone with someone just as I was walking into the church tonight, and um, they invited someone to come to church with them Easter. They've taken us up on the, on, you know, the challenge. Let's be sure we're praying, we're fasting, we're in this 40-day fast to pray and invite someone to come. And they said to them, said, you know, it would be so hypocritical for me to come on Wednesday, God, on Easter Sunday. God would just look at me and call me a hypocrite. And uh, I said, go back and tell your friend that no, Easter is the greatest way to come. God knows your heart. And to tell him that you love him, you're grateful for what he's done. And, and then they just said, you know, how do you connect? You just connect by continuing to love people and meet them where they're at. And when they say an excuse like that, you know, that's the enemy lying to them that uh, God will think they're a hypocrite. I'm delighted when my children come home, aren't you? And I want to see them come. Well, tonight, I feel a little inept for what I'm going to do. Becky and I have been to some beautiful, beautiful cities in the world. We've had some wonderful tour guides in the world. And um, I think some of my favorite cities have been those cities where we've had a tour guide take us around. And then later we get to kind of explore and do some of the things that they told us that we would enjoy that's kind of off the beaten track. And tonight I get to kind of be a tour guide for you based upon what the Bible says. And I really feel inept at this because number one, I've never been to heaven, you know. I, 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 but I read this and I just get so, so excited about heaven. And as we come to these last two chapters uh, this evening, I just find myself, I am so amped up about heaven and what it means. Now, I have never really been excited. I've been asked this question some of the series, and I said, I will address this. And so some of the folks that asked that, they're not here tonight, so they'll have to listen online. I've never really gotten very, very excited about books that people said they went to heaven. And here, I'll tell you why. Number one, there was a very popular book that was out, and uh, the author of the book recanted and said, you know, I've never been to heaven. I didn't go to heaven. And, and please read your Bibles. The Bible is the only true word. And, but that book became a bestseller. It made a lot of money. I read a book. As a matter of fact, I read it um, the day that Sandy went to heaven, Judy. I was reading that book the day that you called me and Sandy had gone to heaven. And, and uh, and the only reason I was reading this particular book about somebody said they went to heaven was because... There was a group of people in the church that asked me several times, would I please read the book and tell them what I thought? And, and I put the book aside. As a matter of fact, it's at the same time that uh, our oldest grandson, Nolan, was being born. Same day. And I um, put the book aside and, and, uh, and just rejoiced and pulled out my Bible that night, that day that Sandy went to heaven and just thought about what this chapter says. The second book that I read on heaven was about a man that uh, said he died and went to heaven. And I read that in 1978, I believe, Becky. We read it there in Valdosta. And I just kept going, this, 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 there's just no way to support this from the Bible. Well, that man turned out to be. But he was recommended on a Christian television show. And I'll tell you why I've never put much stock in those kind of books. Because the Apostle Paul was called up into the third heaven but he was forbidden to talk about what he had seen. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people that have died and seen a great light. I'm not saying that there are people who haven't had these experiences where they saw a tunnel of light. I've had a dream about heaven, if you want to know about that. But that and um, a dollar will get you a cup of coffee at McDonald's, okay? So, I, and I've had a dream about heaven. I, I remember I was very concerned about someone who died, and I just didn't know where they were at with Christ. We had prayed together. We had talked a lot. And one night, um, I had a dream, and in my dream, that person just walked right out of the light and said to me, don't worry, I committed my life to Jesus, it's well. And I got out of my bed that night and just got on my knees and gave God thanks for that because there was such relief. 
So I've never been to heaven, but I'm going to give you, it's kind of like we're reading one of Rick Steves' books or one of Rick Steves watched one of his telecasts. If you've ever watched Rick Steve on the public channels where he goes through these cities, I'm going to just kind of walk you through what the Bible says about heaven. So would you stand with me this evening and let's look first of all at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 10 and then we'll get into the chapter in Revelation. I just want you to see that None of this is new. If you really want to understand this chapter, the two chapters we're looking at tonight, go back and read Isaiah 65 and 66. There's so many others I could tell you about. But Abraham was constantly looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It's the new Jerusalem we're going to talk about tonight. Sarah, Paul t- teaches us in the New Testament, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 11:16. 16 God has prepared a city for them. And then a very interesting verse in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17. The world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases God will live forever. Father, I thank you for the scriptures. I thank you for the word tonight. And as we take this tour that you have provided for us, God, it's, it's like a, a guidebook to that city. That beautiful city that's going to be coming down. I ask you to open our eyes and give us great anticipation, but also increase our passion and burden for reaching our lost friends like we've never done before. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. You can be seated. The expectation of heaven and the expectation of a city coming down from above has always been in the scriptures. 1 John 2, 17, before we get into Revelation 21, I I want to point out to you why I think it's so important that we look at that for just a moment, and just for a moment, and that is that the world is fading away and the things people crave. And so, think about the things that people crave, vacation homes, careers, educations, money, pleasure. There's nothing wrong with those things. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with those things. But you quickly find out once you get some of those things, those things, the pleasure in them pass away pretty quickly. I mean, there's nothing like getting a new car, right? Getting a new car, that new car smell that I was so disappointed to find out at the Ford factory. That new car smell is the glue that they put inside the cars. And so I was just so terribly disappointed because I used to buy this new car smell to spray on my car. And so I don't want to be a glue sniffer, so I quit buying that stuff. But, you know, there's this sense of uh, this, you, you get a new car and then you're making the payments. It gets dirty. It gets dinged up. You get a new home. You invite people over. I've dedicated so many new homes and after a while the reality you're still paying a mortgage, you're paying insurance, all of that begins to pass away. All of the things that we crave so much, pretty soon the pleasure in those passes away. It's why the life that we built upon Christ or who does what pleases God will live forever. So let's take a look at this new heaven and new earth tonight. And that's specifically what the Bible says is a a new heaven and a new earth. It's not that the new heaven and the new earth, God is going to destroy this earth, but God is going to renew this earth. He's going to do it by fire. There's going to be a purging by fire. We've already looked at that before, and so to save time, I won't go back on that, but let's look at what the Scripture says here. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. In other words, it had been renovated by fire, according to Peter. And the sea was gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, there's something you need to see here because what what God is deliberately doing here, we've looked at Babylon. We've looked at the wickedness and the harlotry and the greed and the violence and the lust of Babylon. God is comparing this new Jerusalem that you and I will inhabit, that we will live in. This holy city that's coming down from God, He is comparing it to Babylon. And he's using one of the most intimate terms. As a matter of fact, I ran by the house real quick tonight on my way back from doing some hospital visitation this evening. 
And I ran by the house because I just wanted, and this is going to sound silly, but I really wanted to get this. I stood in front of mine and Becky's wedding picture that she has hanging up in our home. And I looked at that for just a moment, and I remembered the intimacy. I remember the love, the excitement, the joy that was there for that minute, uh, for that moment. I shouldn't say minute. That, that night we got married. It's still there, honey. Don't worry. You know, it's still there. But I stood there looking at remembering that happy day when Becky and I became husband and wife. And God uses this intimate. This is an intimate uh, thing he's saying here. I, I'm doing a wedding for Zach Gilreath and, and uh, uh, Rachel Harry this weekend. And I'm so excited to be able to even share just a little bit of this with them in the wedding ceremony. And that is God uses something intimate to describe what we already know, that we are the bride of Christ. And it's difficult for me to think in those terms because I'd much rather be the groom. But Jesus is going to be the groom and the church is his bride. There are some things that I want you to see here. We have our origins in a garden, but we're going to dwell in a city. Whenever I want to get close to God, I want to tell you something. I want to get out of Detroit. I want to get out of Wayne County. I want to go somewhere alone into the woods, and I want to get somewhere by myself. Going to a city doesn't make me feel close to God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I love to visit Chicago. I love to visit Paris. I love to visit Brussels. I love to visit all these major cities, but I don't go to a city because I want to get close to God. You've probably said it yourself when I get into the woods or when I get on a lake, when I get away from the rush of a city, suddenly I just sense and feel the presence of God. Do you know what I'm talking about there? But this story starts in a garden. Human history begins in a garden. But our human history is going to end up, for those of us who know Christ, in a city. A city where God is celebrated. A city that you and I will be with people that we love and that we know and that we care about. And a city where no sin is inhabited. Now, the miracle of this is what you see on the, the foundation stones and what you see on the gates. The gates are named after the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you were with me, remember we called Genesis origins. And I told you when we got through with Genesis, we would go to Revelation, which we're wrapping up now. If you were with me, there is no way under God's blue heavens that I would have ever named anything after those 12 sons of Jacob. Maybe Joseph, but not the rest of them. They were some rascals, weren't they? And yet when I read this, what I see is what the redemptive power of God is able to do. Some of us in this room, we were real rascals before we became to know Jesus. All of us were sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God. But God can change our names. God can change our reputations. God changes our hearts. God changes our lives. And God makes us creatures after his own heart and mind. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? <clears throat> So don't ever give up. And that's what I was telling the individual on the phone this evening. Don't ever, ever, ever give up on somebody. If they say that the roof is going to fall in, we've got good insurance. And if the roof falls in, we're just going to instantly be in the presence of Jesus anyway, right? The next thing I want you to see is the foundation stones are named after the 12 apostles of Jesus. I got to be honest with you. I wouldn't have named any of the, I wouldn't put their names on the foundation stones or the cornerstones of this church. I mean, James and John were wanting to call down thunder. Peter denied Christ. They all ran away. I mean, when I look at this, I just see the amazing potential of every human being and what God can do in changing our lives. And so when you read this, you see how that Israel and how that the church, God joins us into one family. We are now the true Israel of God. And that's what I meant by think about the implications of this. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we would ever think about in our lives. The next thing I want you to see is this city is huge. It's a perfect cube of 1,400 miles. Now, I didn't have time, but I just had an idea this evening. I ought to get the, the dimensions or, the, or how large certain cities are. But there's one that I remember because it surprises me. I love Boston. We've been to Boston a number of times. I've preached there a number of times. But what shocked me was Boston, the city of Boston, is only 40 square miles. 40 square. So if you've ever been to Boston or you've flown into Logan Airport and you've seen that beautiful city on the coast of Massachusetts, this city is huge. I did some calculations, and just with my calculator, do you know if I just figure a 10-foot a, a, a floor, 
Did you know there would be over 7,000 floors if we took an elevator to the top? Over 7,000 floors. Now, we've been on some tall buildings, haven't we? You've probably been to the John Hancock building. You've probably been to the Sears Tower in, in Chicago. I remember we looking off of Mount Carbon and being able to look forever, it seemed like. And, you know, but this city goes right up 1,400 miles. You say, that's impossible. Nothing's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. There's something else I want you to see. It was a cube. The Holy of Holies was a perfect cube. And there is not a Jew that would not have recognized the implication of what God was revealing here. And that's going to come out to play just a little bit more because I want you to understand what this means. In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the Holy of Holies among them. He came, God's presence, once a year the priest went in. There in the temple, God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. In the New Testament, God dwells in us by His Holy Spirit. But you'll, you'll see later when we get to heaven, friends, God will be dwelling with all of us. Can we give Him another hand of praise for that? I mean, this is, you're looking at intimacy here. You're looking at something powerful. And the good news is, according to Jesus, there's a place for you and me there tonight. He is there preparing a place for us, and God don't make no junk, right? He is preparing a place for us. And I want you to see one other thing because in this city, you're not going to be running into cars. You're not going to be running into buses and tramways. I, I don't really understand how, but, you know, and, and we've already talked about this, but let me just remind you of some things we've talked about as we went through the revelation. After the rapture, you and I receive our glorified bodies. After the rapture, when, we, when that happens, and we've talked about the rapture, and the dead in Christ rise first, we receive our glorified bodies. Then those that get saved during the, the tribulation that we looked at, after that is over, while we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and those first three and a half years are peaceful, those second three and a half years are horrible. We've looked at all of that. There will be people that are saved during that time, and then the, the millennial will come, and then and, and it just isn't, we looked at the deception of sin last night, how, or, or last week, how that sin just so deceives us that people will turn back to sin even after having a thousand years of peace with Christ living. It's how just deep and dark that stain of sin goes into our lives. But then those that are resurrected from that, they will receive their, their glorified bodies. Here's the reason I bring all that out. Because after the resurrection, Jesus was not limited the way he was before the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. Remember how he just appeared into a room? And I don't know if you remember the clip I showed on a Sunday morning here from uh, the movie Son of God and how Jesus just appeared in the room and it scared the stuffing out of the disciples. It would have scared me too. It would scare you and I if he did that tonight. Do you remember how he just kind of walked through the walls and how he was walking with those two disciples from Emmaus and then just suddenly disappeared after he broke the bread and prayed with them? Friends, we won't need an elevator to go to the top. That's what I'm trying to get at. This will not be a city of pollution. This will not be a city of litter. I was in a, a county commissioner's meeting uh, Monday morning, and uh, Mr. Basham, uh, the commissioner for District 14, was saying, please take an interest in your county. Please take a love in your county. Know what's going on in your county. And then he just let loose, which I was really glad he did, on the litter, the problems that were taking place and how we just litter up. He said, this is our county. This is our home. We need to take care of it. Friends, when you get to heaven, there won't be any litter. There won't be any trash. There won't be any crime. There won't be any violence. There won't be any rape. There won't be any child abuse. There won't be any sexual abuse. There won't be any war. Heaven's going to be a wonderful place. Now, if I sound like I'm a little geek tonight, I am, because I have been praying over this thing all day long. If I was to ask you a question, let's do, we're going to do an informal survey right now. You got a choice. You could go to heaven tonight, or you could live here 10 more years. How many of you go to heaven tonight? Wow. Look at that, Becky. Your hand's not up. You wouldn't go to heaven tonight? You don't want to miss the wedding. <laughs> Only you. You caught me off guard. Now I'm hot. <laughs> now here's the deal. People say they want to go to heaven, but 
I hear this all the time, but I want to get married first. That's why Zach and Rachel told me, I want to get married first. You know, I have people tell me, hey, yeah, but I want to go to Hawaii first. I, I want to. It's as though we think that a wedding or Hawaii or a vacation home or, or anything is going to be better than heaven. There is nothing that we have known this side of glory that's going to be as good as heaven. And that's the thing I think God is trying to get through to us. Now, I want to come back to what I said in the opening, because there's nothing wrong with our desires. Our desires, because a house can't satisfy us, a car can't satisfy us. For some people, they can't be satisfied in marriage. They've got five or six marriages under their belt already. Marriage doesn't satisfy them. Those desires that can't be satisfied, C.S. Lewis says, just says we were created for more and only Christ is going to be able to satisfy that and when we get to heaven we'll understand things that we don't understand now and I it's so important so there's a river that flows through the middle of the city and I want to talk about that for just a moment the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb it flowed down the center of the main street now there's a street there but it's, flo it's like a boulevard split in two by this beautiful river. And on each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used to heal the nations. Do you realize how merciful it was when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden? If they had ate of the tree of life, they would have lived in their sin forever. Look at me. When God created man and woman, the Bible says, and he blessed them. And he blessed them. The heart of God is always to bless you. The heart of God is always to heal you. Today, I was talking to a, a young medical student that has been talking to me and asking me some questions. And I just told him, I said, listen, you need to understand the heart of God is always to bless you. Today, I talked with a young pastor whose senior pastor just had a, a morals failure, and the associate pastor just a few weeks later had a morals failure in their church, and he's devastated, and he's just brokenhearted, and we were talking today, and I just told him, I said, tonight, I will be reminding our church, the heart of God is to bless you. God will take what the enemy means for evil, and God will bring good out of it. He will bring glory to his name, and he will bless you through it. Don't you dare give up on God. Babylon never heals a thing. That's what we saw as we've looked at it. Babylon never healed the nations. Babylon never healed a soul. Babylon took advantage of everything. It's like the story of that church was on the front uh, cover of the, of the News Herald this weekend. All the wickedness and the immorality going on there. Babylon will take a religious form. We've looked at that. That woman sitting on that scarlet beast. But it will always be designed to take from you. But God will bring healing and blessing to his people who follow after him. And the mercy of God was to put them out of the Garden of Eden because he said the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent and that's what Jesus did at Calvary and that's why you and I are here tonight. God is healing the nations through the gospel of Jesus Christ but one day the nations are going to be healed because there are going to be people from every tribe, every tongue. It's going to be a big city. Over 7,000 floors, 1,400 square miles. It's going to be a big city we get to live in. Amen? Now, on each side, there's this tree of life. In the garden, there was only one tree of life. Now, I got to tell you, I've got, I had to think about that for just a moment. Because, and I want you to follow me closely. We, we overestimate our goodness sometimes. When they were in the garden, there was the reddest of apples, the pinkest of peaches, there were the most beautiful flowers. There were colors. There were fragrances. There were birds like you would have never. There were animals that probably we've never seen or dreamed of. Because Adam and Eve is the only people, are the only people that have ever lived on an earth without sin. And yet, with, they had, if I could put it this way, they had the mother of all salad bars in the Garden of Eden. Now think about that. They could eat from every tree they wanted to. And yet, they still could not stay away from the one thing God said not to. Friends, that tree of life, for whatever it stands for, and I'm sure there's more symbolism here than we understand, 
But I want you to know, in heaven, there will be nothing compared, there will be nothing on this earth that can compare to what we're going to be in heaven. Mountains will be more beautiful. Rivers will be more clearer. Birds will be more beautiful. Our lives will be more wonderful. I can't begin to imagine what it would be like. And please don't get angry at what I'm going to say because I know this is somewhat derogatory. But I was thinking about Mr. Basham and what he was telling us Monday morning. And I thought, what is the difference? Because when you drive across the Ambassador Bridge into Windsor, you immediately see the difference in the lack of litter and the cleanness of the park and the safety to be able to walk around with your family. As a matter of fact, until 9-11, uh, there were times that we would just go across the bridge and play football in the park with our kids and toss a frisbee because we didn't have to worry about being harassed. We didn't have to worry about being panhandled and it was cleaned. Friends, heaven is going to be simply amazing. And I'm tired of hearing people say, you're too heavenly minded. I don't think we can be heaven-minded enough today because if we really have heaven on our hearts and minds, we want to see our lost friends and neighbors get there. Amen? There is no more sea to separate us from one another. I was talking to somebody just the other day and talking about the sea is, the, the salty seas that we know, that's part of the judgment of God upon this earth. There's a lot of things. Remember the beast came up out of the sea. The seas separate us as a child. I will never forget the first history class. I was so excited to have my first history book. And, and when they were talking about one of the things that made America safe was because we were protected on both coasts by the seas. Well, seas separate us from one another. It's a sign of the judgment. There will be no need to separate. There will be no need to lock your doors. As a child, I can remember in the country, we never locked a window or never locked a door. We slept with the windows open and, and, and neighbors just came in and out. That's just the way life was. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, already we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies, change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So you're saying, Pastor, you believe? No, it doesn't matter what I believe. I believe what the Word says. God is going to change our bodies into bodies like Jesus had. So when you see the resurrected Christ, and we talk about Easter, when I preach that message, believe on Sunday morning, understand this. We won't be God, but we will have resurrected bodies that are like Jesus's. We will have bodies like God intended for Adam and Eve in the very beginning. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? Now that's exciting. No more blood pressure medication. No more cholesterol medication. There will be no Twinkies in heaven either. There will be hamburgers. And french fries. Second thing I want you to see is God will dwell with us. But we will see his face. What did he say to Moses? No man can see my face and live. No man. But you remember in the garden how those two sacred times of the day, God would come down in the cool of the day in the morning, and God would walk with them. They had this intimate fellowship. There are often times that people say to me, if I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. There are often times people say to me, I just don't feel God. And I understand that. There have been times when I've wanted to see a miracle. I've wanted to see a miracle for somebody in the hospital and the miracle didn't happen. I've wanted to see a miracle for somebody's finances and the finances didn't happen. But I've seen God build their character. I've seen them come through that sickness. I've seen them learn how to manage their finances. I, I've seen maturity. And then I have seen miracles. We've seen miracles right here in this church where God unexplainably, supernaturally has healed somebody. But Jesus one time castigated a crowd of people because they said, show us a miracle and we'll believe. Miracles never convince people. God was with them. Perfect love dwelt among them and we still crucified Christ. But in this new state of life that we will be in in heaven, God will be there. 
in a way that in those most intimate, and there have been those times, there have been those times when I have just been so overwhelmed, and I'm sure you have too, overwhelmed by his presence. Those times when just so overwhelmed in prayer that you, you don't realize two or three hours have passed by, but you've been in the presence of God. Those times when you've, you've sat down with someone and you, you prayed together and you sensed. I, I recall one night Becky and I were with a group of people and we were praying and, and, and I, just, I just saw one of those sovereign things happened and Becky was over praying, people began to pray and, and I wasn't called up the way they were called up but about two and a half hours later, you know, suddenly that intense prayer and worship, and I mean, it wasn't loud and screaming. It was just this intense time of worship, and it kind of threw me. I said, Lord, I won't in on that, and I, I wasn't in on it, you know? And so I was talking to one of my mentors, and I remember, won't forget, he says, you're the pastor. You needed to watch and to care for what was going on. You needed to be a shepherd. But God wanted to meet with those people while you watched over them, and that totally changed how I looked at things. You see, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And when we get to heaven, friends, I don't know, I'm telling you, I'm a poor tour guide, but when we get to heaven, I'm going to tell you, the great shepherd of the sheep is going to be there, and we are going to see the face of the Father. Look at this. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. There'll be no more curse in heaven. Creation is groaning I was headed out to Ann Arbor early this morning, and on my way to Ann Arbor, I was driving past the uh, fields where they plant the sod, and I was looking out there and just thinking of how we have to fertilize and have to fight bugs and diseases, and then tonight I was talking at the Oakwood Hospital and, uh, with uh, Dave Anderson's father, and, and uh, he says, Pastor, he says, did you ever have to plant tobacco? And I go... I never planted it, but I cropped it. And we started talking about that hot, sticky work and the things that can happen. And then I told him about cotton and peanuts. We kept talking, there's a curse because of sin. That will not, we just don't know what earth will be like because we've never, and yet it's beautiful. And that's what I want you to see tonight. It's beautiful. For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. How can there be a curse? How can sin abide? And his servants, that's you and I, we will worship him. And they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. And friends, look at this. There will be no night there. No need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them. And they, not God, you and I will reign forever. That phrase saying we're going to reign forever tells me we're going to be doing something. And the reason I wasn't happy about heaven as a child, I've told you this before, heaven sounded like a boring place to me. Because everything I ever saw on the flannel graph was people in white robes and playing harps. And everything you saw in the movie was like Clarence, you know, coming down trying to earn his wings. Or there was always this mist floating around. And it was just, heaven kind of looked boring to me. But when you read the Bible about what heaven says, and oh, what, somebody that's going to change their mind or say, I wrote a lie and, and, you know, don't read it anymore. But when you read what the Bible says, heaven is going to be fascinating. And there's this place that we will reign with God forever. I want you to memorize these five words this week. I want you to let them get real in your heart because God says, I am making all things new. Let's say that together. Revelation 21.5. I am making everything new. Everything. I'm quoting King James. That's what I grew up on. Revelation 21.5. I am making everything new. If you say all things, it won't be five words. I am making everything new. You see, that renovation that will take place, this new heaven, this new Jerusalem will come down. There have been many things that we've had restored over the years. But when Becky has done something and restored it, I've always been amazed. Notice I said when Becky restored it. And then I've seen artwork before and after the restoration. 
I've seen buildings before and after, magnificent buildings where they've uncovered the paintings and where they've taken off the years, the centuries of grime, the smoke, the incense, and they've restored and the color just pops out. I want to say it again. If your idea of heaven is this going to be boring, you haven't really thought deep enough about heaven. And if you think that somehow or another that this earth, it's not a bad place, it's our home. Everything in the universe centers around this earth because this is the home that God created for us. God's plan has always been good from the beginning. We are not going to be stuck living up on a cloud playing a silly little harp. We're going to be on this earth and we're not going to be limited to a city. There will still be mountains to climb. There will still be white water rapids to shoot. Somebody asked me the other day, will we get to hunt and kill anything? I don't know about that. But I know we're going to eat meat. So somehow or another that's got to all work out. Children ask me the silliest questions sometimes. They go, will we go poop in heaven? I go, I don't know. I don't know how all of our digestive processes are going to work in heaven. You know, I just, you know, I love those questions. Remember, I haven't been there. I'm just giving you the tour guide here. I'm giving you the Rick Steves trip. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to get ready. You as a believer, get ready. Jesus is coming soon. And you might sit there thinking tonight, well, the church has been saying that for 2,000 years. Remember, a day with the Lord is as 1,000 years, and 1,000 years is a day. God exists outside of time. You and I will live outside of time. Einstein got that. Sometimes Christians don't get that. God is coming. Write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. And all who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Look at that. All who are victorious. God has equipped you to live an overcoming life. I want you to look right here just for a second. Because I deal with whiny hiney sometime, and you know I don't deal with that very well. I just can't make it. I just can't do it. I, you know what? I'll say it again. Henry Ford was right. Whether you believe you can or whether you believe you can't, you're right. But I'm telling you, God has equipped you for victory. And when I say come on victory, I'm not just trying to be cute. I am trying to put it into people's minds. You and I have been made to live as more than overcomers. Doesn't mean we don't get tired. That's why we have a Sabbath day of rest, to be able to rest and renew ourselves. It's why we need to have our daily devotions and go to the Lord in prayer. But you will inherit all of these blessings. Let's move on here. Revelation 22. Everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angels to tell his servants what will happen soon. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. I'm going to do a, a wrap-up message next Wednesday night. And we're going to look at what we have learned. And then I'm going to come back in the fall. And we're going to do just a four series, four Sunday mornings. Because so many of our people can't be here on a Wednesday night. And I'm just going to entitle it, The End. And we're going to go quickly through the book of Revelation and pull out these highlights. Because God says there is a blessing. I made you a promise at the beginning. You can understand this book. You can apply this book. And I have diligently through this series tried to give you the tools and we put the, the outlines for you to be able to follow through upon them. But there is a blessing to read and obey what's written in this book. It applies for today. Let's go down because I, I, wanna, I do want to wrap this up tonight. I left the verses in this selection. I don't normally do this because there are some things I want you to, to work on this week before next week's message. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all of these things. And when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now, you need to pay attention to that. John 
the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, in this vision, he saw this angel and he fell down to worship him. There's always this temptation when we come into powerful encounters that we want to worship. But you will always know when a spirit is of the Lord, when they point you to Jesus and refuse to accept the accolades for themselves, the worship for themselves. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Read it with me. Worship only God. Demonic spirits masquerade as gods. That's what the Old Testament is referring to when it talks about the gods. It's what the, the New Testament is referring to, the gods of this age. These demonic spirits, these fallen angels that seek to get people because what Satan always wanted was to be like God. And so there's always this temptation and this fascination. Verse 10 he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book for the time is near. In other words, I'll go right back to where I started the very first message here when I wrote and said these words to you. There is so much confusion and so many people who believe they can't read and understand this book and it's a tool of the devil to keep people from reading Revelation. God promises a blessing to those who read it obey it and preach it. I'm enjoying the blessing of preaching it and obeying it. You should enjoy the blessings of reading it. Don't seal it up by saying I can't understand it. But don't go weird either. Okay? Don't go Looney Tunes. And we've just tried to stick with what the scriptures have said. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to be, live righteously. Let the one who is, con, who is holy continue to be holy. What is he saying? He said, those that aren't going to repent, leave them be. Those that aren't going to repent, leave them be. But those that are going to serve God, encourage them. And there are some people just refuse to repent. Let's go on. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. We're going to be rewarded. At the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be rewarded. Those of you that are here tonight, you're going to be rewarded for having been here. Those of you that have fasted and prayed and sought God, those of you that have, have sought to, 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 to bring meals to somebody, to witness to someone, those of you that have sought to, to help others, God says He's, going, He's not repaying you in order that you're earning your salvation. We've already dealt with that a long time ago. But God is going to reward you. But God is going to repay the lost people, the sinners who refuse to obey God, the wages of sin, what's a wage? It's something I earn. The wages of sin is death. God's going to repay all the people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the First, the Last, the Beginning, and the End. Blessed are those who wash their robes. In other words, that means you've confessed your sins. You've allowed Jesus to cleanse you of your sins. That's what that symbolism is there. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat from the tree of life. And the next word is the best description of hell I know how to read. And it's a tough one because we've looked at the lake of fire. We've looked at how Satan is thrown in the lake of fire and how all of those who rejected Christ are thrown into the lake of fire. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. They chose to live outside of the grace of God. They chose to reject Christ. And that's important to look at. God is not unjust. God has done everything he can to bring you and I into the kingdom of heaven. Honey, if you'll come on up to the piano. In conclusion tonight, and let me say this because this is one of those scriptures that continually just works in the back of my mind, works in the back of my heart. There are so many people that I believe will be outside because nobody's ever told them. Nobody's ever loved them. My Greek professor, we called him Brother, Brother Glandon. I will never forget 
my second year of Greek, we were working on a difficult passage and translating it and transliterating it and looking at the words and he made us think and sweat and squirm. It's a class that to take the class you had to spend just three hours a day just with the text. So it was a lot of work. And some of us got a little bit cocky as we were translating the book of John. One day he just set us all down. He said, gentlemen, when you die, some of you are going to be surprised that you're in heaven. He said, some of you are going to be surprised that you're not in heaven. And some of you are going to be surprised who's not there in heaven. I'll never forget that. And he was warning us about cockiness and pride. Then he lights into what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, knowledge will puff you up. There's nothing worse than a puffed up know-it-all. You see, the more you learn about God, the more you humble yourself before Him. And then the more you learn about His love, the more you want to share that love with somebody else. So in conclusion, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. Notice his throne. There's only one throne. He will reign upon, we will reign with him, but he will reign upon the throne. The spirit and the bride, in other words, the Holy Spirit in the church, don't miss this, say come. Again, I can only go on what I read in the Bible. But I am persuaded we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I took you through line by line in Revelation where it's obvious those saints praying in heaven, they know what's going on on the earth. We talked, remember, we looked at that, spent a lot of time with that. I don't know how much they know, but they knew enough that they could pray very specifically in heaven. And the fact that my daddy might be watching me tonight makes me work that much harder to preach. I've always known Jesus was watching. But I've always wanted my dad to be proud of me. And the Spirit and the Bride, they're saying to lost people in this world today, come. I know I don't have many more years. And I look back over 43 years of preaching the gospel. Sometimes I ask myself some really critical questions. Have I been faithful with the word? I have felt the pressure at time to preach on things that people that I just couldn't support from the Bible. I have felt the pressure at time to not preach on things that the Bible has said. I've had those challenges and I don't mind. I, I can live with that. But then I've wondered at times, Father, have I been faithful? But if there's anything I know tonight I can stand solid on as a result of the cross, as a result of the day of Pentecost, that God gave us power. Jesus says, the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. I have come to seek and to save the lost. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let anyone who hears us say, come. So tonight, you're being asked to say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who drinks, desires drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy, written in this book, if anyone adds to what is written here, God will add to the person the plagues described in this book. You don't want that. These backslid and apostate churches that are preaching things that are not in the Bible that are saying we have to change third world theologians from poor countries 
is what just recently saved one denomination from going down that path. Probably will split that denomination. You say, why? Because God doesn't want you messing with his word. I don't want you messing with my word. I've had my word twisted. You ever had your word twisted? And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that is described in this book. When I walked in Monday morning, all the dignitaries were getting their picture made. And so I was kind of holding back. And this lady motioned for me. She'd come and I came around and she said, are you registered? And I go, oh yeah, I'm registered. And she said, come this way. And I came in. This man said, what's your name? I told him my name. He goes, who are you with? I told him, myself. <laughs> who invited you? So I told him who had asked me to come. So they turned to a book and they started flipping through a book. Go, oh, here he is. And I thought, by Jiminy, that'll preach right there. My name was written in the book. Is your name written in the book tonight? Are your grandchildren's name written in the book? Is your neighbor's name written in the book? God has a share for them in the tree of life, in a place called heaven. And he who is the faithful witness of these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. That's the book. So three things I want you to write down out of that. Invite your friends. Come. Come Easter Sunday morning. Come this Sunday morning. I'm going to talk about when you have faith. What happens when you have faith in God? You don't have to use this phrase, but be sure you share with them. Like the lady who called me tonight. Tell them how they can be born again. Tell them how they can know Jesus. Tell them what God did in your life. You don't have to... If you'll just come to 401 when I teach it, you'll learn how to use your gift and your personality just to share with people. People want to hear your story. The medical student I spoke to you about, he just wanted to hear my story. Well, when he heard my story, I thought, you're going to be a doctor. So I gave him some doctor's names to contact. Boy, we're having an engaging conversation. And worship God. You'll worship God by the way you live and by the way you serve Him. And I hope you've enjoyed Dennis's tour of heaven tonight. I haven't been there, but I'm going soon and very soon. Amen? Stand with me tonight. Let me pray with you before you go. I love you so much, Jesus. <clears throat> and I do love living, Lord. I, I'm in no hurry to die. I do love chocolate sundaes. I love Starbucks coffee. Lord, I love trips and going to the mountains and whitewater. God, I love good books. I love friends and family. Lord Jesus, I love being here with my church family. There's so much, Lord, that I love about this life. But I pray that you'll help me not to hold on to it so tightly that I put it before the kingdom of heaven. Because this is just a taste of all the goodness that's to come. And I ask you for this. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. While I was praying, I just had a thought pop in my mind. <laughs> Who advertises that they're the happiest place on earth? Disney. They advertise. You ever been to Disney? You ever seen the babies crying and screaming and the parents getting frustrated? Does it cost you a lot to go to Disney? I got to tell you something. There's a happy place that's coming and there's going to be no squalling babies and there's going to be no price to pay. The price has already been paid. Come on, Victory. I love you. Good night. <laughs>